Welcome to the Witness and Persecution Podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin, where we explore biblical principles, truths, and practices from believers and persecution to help equip you to cross the street and cross the oceans with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Anthony Ball, your host today, and on today's episode, Nick joins me as we discover what did God teach Nick and Ruth in their first couple of years on the mission field when they first went to Africa and to Malawi. What did God teach them? What did they wish that they knew? What did they wish that they had known going into the mission field? And what we're going to explore today is, is teaching us how can we have better practices, learn from some of their mistakes so that when we go out and share Christ, we can take some of these practices and principles with us. Nick, thank you so much for being here today. Share with us today, uh, what are the, the things that you want us to know and to learn? And, and what are the things that you learned when you first moved overseas and what did God teach you that you feel like we need to know now? Well, we um, had finished our first language uh, of four languages that we can fairly well operate in. And uh, that was Chichewa and then moved up to a place where they uh, 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 speak another language. And so we were in the midst of getting that dialect of Chichewa. And uh, we lived way up on a mountain. But uh, a lot of our churches and a lot of our work, we were doing traditional missionary work at that time, were down on Lake Malawi, which uh, had shipwrecks uh, with 20-foot waves. And we could go body surfing because the, the waves were so big. Uh, and, and, and yet it was one of those places that uh, caused us to get run out of that place because we, uh, uh, within a year, uh, 14 months, I'd had malaria 10 times and, and was near death with it. Uh, Ruth had had it at least that much. The boys had it five or six times. And uh, there were times when we were all in the hospital at the same time. But the fruitfulness of that place, we were living on this mountain. And, and, and one of the things that most people don't know about rural Africa, usually you're lucky to have one paved road. And so we had a a partial paved road up to the mountains we lived. Uh, and then we had one paved road that took us down to Lake Malawi. Everything else was uh, 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 dirt roads in, in, in the rainy season that became very interesting. In the dry season, I've been, I would stick, get my four by four stuck in the dust because the roads would become so filled with dust that it, it would get under the chassis of your vehicle and, and you could move, you know. That's hard to dig out dust. And, and, and we were driving down that one main road with, uh, with Ruth, myself, the two boys in the back. And uh, there's not a car seat in the country. Uh, you're lucky to have a seat belt. Uh, uh, one of the uh, bigger churches, John Bassanio's church, had bought us a new Nissan Patrol. So thankfully, we had seat belts in the back seat for the boys. And I'm driving down this mountain, and I see up to, I mean, we're going from about uh, 6,500 feet almost to sea level. It's a big drop uh, going down to that Malawi, uh, Lake Malawi Basin, and, and we're driving down. And I could see, sitting on the side of a hill uh, in the distance, these three guys just sitting there, and it was totally unexpected as I drove near them, that they jumped up suddenly and ran in the middle of the road. And I'm going about 50, 
50, 55 miles an hour, and I had to slam on my brakes so hard that we did a, 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 a 180 around them with them standing in the middle of the road with my sweet wife and boys bouncing back and forth like ping pong balls. And I get out of the car. I thought I was going to turn that thing over. I thought I was going to kill these guys. I thought I'd harm my wife and kids. And I got out of that vehicle and I was going to walk around it. And I, I didn't have any baptized words uh, to express myself to these three men because they had scared me and angered me. And thankfully, Ruth got to them before I got to them. And by the time I walked around the end of this 4 by 4 I heard one of them say in Chichewa, uh, are you the people that bring God to the villages? We have no God in our village. Uh, we've been sleeping here for three days and three nights because someone told you us that some weeks you drive by here and we've been taking turns sleeping on this hill trying to uh, stop you asking you if you'd bring God to our village. Well, how could I be angry with that? And so we sat there and talked, and and, and Ruth had uh, this before any kind of electronics, uh, no cell phones, no internet, nothing. And she had our calendar in her mind, and she told these gentlemen that, that I could uh, get to them. Uh, she'd be homeschooling, and I could get to them in about six weeks to two months. And they told me where to come. And there would be somebody in that small town that would take me to that village. And so you can imagine, if you're going to take God to the village, you're going to prepare. So I did everything I knew to do. I made copious notes. I studied the scriptures. I really delved deep into them. I've never had anybody, a village, ask me this question that for the first time in their lives, someone's going to bring the God of the universe, uh, not you know, not an animistic God, uh, to them, and and I was uh, uh, I was overwhelmed with uh, with the opportunity and that I might mess it up, and so I uh, I worked so hard, and in about two months I got down there, and I found not just that one village, but uh, they had passed the word around, and, and three to five villages had come. So now we're looking at 300 to 500 people that are looking to us uh, to bring God to their villages. And, and, and I got there early enough, but because so many people showed up, they had to talk for three or four hours to decide which group of people from which village, how many people came, so who has to provide this many goats or this many sheep uh, to feed everybody. And that went on for hours and hours. And by the time uh, they settled the issue, by the time they got the beasts together, by the time they slaughtered them and they started cooking them, uh, it was 10 o'clock at night. And I'm beginning to get quite worried. And it, it was about 10, 11 o'clock at night when they had finally settled in. It, it, there's a full moon over Lake Malawi, and I can see the full moon totally reflected in the lake. But now these these three to 500 Malawi people are, are sitting around dozens and dozens of campfires and they're burnt down to the red ashes and coals. And I can see some reflection off of eyes and, and faces a little bit. 
but I, I can't really tell that anybody's up there, out there. And 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 I get up, and they tell me uh, uh, we're ready. Uh, uh, we, uh, bring God to us. And I've got a problem. I can't see my notes. I can't see a page of the Bible. I cannot see one word of the Bible. It is that dark. I don't have a flashlight. There's not a candle there. I'm standing in front of them, uh, and they're keeping a little a fire burning, and I cannot see a word of my preparation. And I just cried out to God, God, I, I'm going to have to tell them I'm sick or that something's come up, I, I, you know, that I, I'm going to have to come back. But there's there's 300 people that uh, more that uh, it's hard telling how far they walked and all the preparation they did. But I can't see my notes. I I can't read from my Bible. All the training that I've had, all the preparation that's been poured into me, it's useless. And I'm just I'm just saying, God, I don't know what to do. Then I, I remembered uh, all those years that I lay in bed until I was 18 years of age, asking where did the world come from. Didn't know it, and 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 and. What is the kingdom of God is about and what happens to me when I die and who is this Jesus anyway? And so what I did, I just started telling them uh, major stories from the Bible and and, and not a person there uh, had a clear idea uh, where the creation of the earth came from. And I just started in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And I walked through those six days of creation and the Sabbath day, and, and, and again, I can't see a person, but I can hear them murmuring. I take about an hour to do that. I walk them through the Ten Commandments, and, and there, again, all I can hear when I talk about God creating the heavens and earth, and, and I talk about uh, uh, how sin uh, was passed on uh, 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 to the uh, next generation, when one brother slew the other brother and, and I could hear them like making sounds like somebody had hit them in the stomach or something and or them just make it, oh, or oh, or, or something like that. And, and I could hear the rhythm of their responses. I just couldn't see them. And, and of course, they weren't speaking. About the third hour, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm taking them through Isaiah. And I'm taking them through some of the very uh, uh, major stories of prophecy. Uh, I, I had taken them through uh, parts of Job and, and talk about evil and, and suffering. And, and that wasn't a hard sale because, you know, uh, these people, not a one of them had a job. And if they did, they would make a dollar a day. And so they lived totally on the barter system and, and the trading of sheep and crops and corn and different things like that. And as I walked through Isaiah and I walked through some of the major prophetic stories of the Old Testament, I began to hear some of the men whisper uh, in Chichewa, somebody's coming. We don't know who it is, but somebody's coming. And, and they were so tied into that whole story and all of that genealogy and all of that biblical background. And finally, when I got to the New Testament and got to the, uh, the Annunciation to Mary and, 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 and 
her pregnant with the Son of God and got to the stories of Jesus, I could hear them whispering in that fireplace, I mean, with their reflection in those uh, uh, coals of, the, of many dozens of, of campfires, uh, I, I could hear them saying with excitement, he's here, he's here, he's here. He's finally come after all of those years. And and when I got to the crucifixion uh, uh, around uh, different parts of that crowd, uh, a man and a woman, uh, different ones of them would shout out, you're a liar. You're not telling the truth. Uh, uh, the, the, the one who was promised to take away his sins, he, he cannot be dead. You're telling the wrong story. And and it was just visceral, and and it, it wasn't anger as much as it was they were just desolate, as if God had gone through all of creation and, 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 and gone through the Moses narrative and gone through the prophecy and, and now uh, to allow his son to be killed. And, and I just went on and, and kept telling uh, the stories and, and, and uh, about the crucifixion and uh, and about the stone and how when I got to the third day and the women going to the tomb and the stone rolled away, there was just through all of that where I can't see, but I just can hear them saying, uh, he's for me. That's for me. Uh, this is what I've been waiting for. And, and, and it just goes through this crowd and now it's two o'clock in the morning plus. And I have taught as much in, in four hours time, uh, four hours time, major stories of the Old and New Testament. And I went into the hut that they set aside to me in, in a, a little straw bed uh, on the ground. And I just collapsed in it from just pouring everything that God has ever invested in me or uh, from his word into those people and I just collapsed uh, exhausted and about 6 o'clock in the morning uh, I'm uh, rudely awakened and I look up and there's like these six village elders these chiefs, chiefs standing over me uh, shaking me telling me to wake up and I woke up and, and pulled on my trousers and my shirt and stood up, and one of them uh, handed me a, a, a glass of, of of tea, and 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 they sat on stools in a circle with me, and they said, "All the time that you have been sleeping, uh, we've been talking as a group and as elders, and uh, uh, we believe that what you've told us is true, and this is the God that we've been waiting for, and we have, while you were sleeping, we have decided to believe." And we want to know what's next. What do we do next? I stayed, I stayed with them for about two weeks. And they had to take care of business. And we would sit and tell stories. And, and they would ask questions. And I would back up and fill in things. And, and uh, at, at the end of that 10 days to two weeks, uh, we arranged. Uh, uh, as I told stories, uh, they asked a question that had already been asked. In the, in the Bible itself, they said, well, what hinders us from being baptized? We, we've got to be baptized. You see, uh, uh, sub-Saharan Africans can't give up their amulets or their fetishes that protect them from the evil. 
until they have that which replaces it. And they see that believing in Jesus and following him in baptism is the amulet of their heart that protects them from evil now that they've laid aside what they used to have that they hoped would protect them from evil. And I could talk about that for hours and days. And, and so uh, they, they, they arranged and, 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 uh, uh, and you, you talk about when hundreds and hundreds of people are baptized, uh, it's a lot of work. But good, one of the great things were we were close enough to Lake Malawi that uh, baptizing people weren't very, wasn't very difficult. Whereas in a lot of places we went uh, in Malawi, there'd be maybe 10 to 12 inches of water. And if you were a Baptist background, you almost have to put them down and then turn them over and baptize both sides because there, there's just not much water there. But I stayed with them uh, all that one night and then they trusted in Christ and, and then they had so many questions and uh, they were baptized very quickly. And then by the time I was ready to leave, I got up one morning and there were eight men with their blankets uh, 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 wrapped around their shoulder and, and their side. And they each had a little tin uh, of stuff that they were going to carry some food or, and, and, and a little thing, a, a plastic uh, bottle that they had uh, run a wire through that they were going to. Uh, carry their water with them and they were just getting ready to leave and those elders had surrounded them and were, 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 were praying with them. And I walked over and I said, uh, I said, uh, uh, what's going on and, and what's happening? And they said, well, uh, how can we keep this to ourselves? We, we've been waiting, uh, for many lifetimes, for many lifetimes, no one like you have come. And we know that our lives would be in jeopardy if we keep this, these stories to ourselves. So we have uh, uh, gathered together some of our most mature men, and we're going to take care of their families and their crops, and they're going to go to the villages around us, and they're not going to stop until they've gone a day's walk in every direction and go to every village and told them uh, uh, and brought God to their village. And they brought God to their village. It was life changing for me. And, and, and the whole time, uh, God was showing me what Ruth and I and the boys needed for the next 33 years of ministry. But I missed them. I, I just missed them. Except maybe for that one. And, and the one is... Uh, in, in, out of those three, four hundred people, there were maybe five or six readers. That's all. And yet, as I listened to them, every story that I told that I knew pretty much word for word from the Bible. And later on in the daytime, we were able to go back to those stories. And if there was anything that I missed, I could make sure that I covered that, but I didn't miss very much. Uh, that's the way that the, if you go from Genesis through Acts, that's the way uh, God has written his story. And uh, a literate person has to hear something seven times uh, for it to be on, its, on our hard drive, if you will. An uh, oral person, like these villagers, they hear it once, they own it. And they own it 100%. 
And so every story they'd heard me tell that night and in the preceding days, uh, they had already owned them and they were going to take them uh, to the dozen or two dozen villages around them. And, and, and what I want our listeners to take away from this is what I didn't take away from this. And each one of these takeaways is going to be a topic, a standalone conversation in itself. And they're, 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 they're so important. And, and the first one, and they're not in the order of importance, but one of the ones that I uh, have even found desperately among Muslims is the fact that lost people are looking for us. We're not looking for them. But when Muslims have dreams and visions, and I'm not going to unpack this very much, many of them walk to one, two, and three countries trying to find people like me and you to get one or two stories about Jesus or trying to, they don't even know exists, finding the Jesus film is a really good day, week, month, and year uh, in their language. And, and, and they're walking to one and two and three countries looking for us because we're not looking for them. And, and I wondered a lot of times since then, they, they, the only reason why all of those villages hadn't believed is because nobody had told them. And yet we had workers there and other mission agencies and denominations had workers there uh, from anywhere from 30 to 70 years. And there were Presbyterian churches, there were Charismatic churches, there were Catholic churches and Baptist churches and Nazarene churches. There were all kinds of churches. And how, come, how in the world can you explain in all of those years we had never got to those villages? And I checked later on. And 70% of the, of the workers were in the cities at the seminaries of their denomination at the Bible schools and the seminaries of their denomination. Pass it on what it meant, and here's another takeaway, what it meant to be a pastor teacher, not an evangelist, not a church planner. And that's what they would send you out is once you had the tools of a, of a pastor teacher, not a church planner and a teacher, but they're looking for us uh, 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 lost people are, are looking for us. They're, they're, they're absolutely going to into eternity without a single story from the word of God. Uh, uh, they're interacting uh, with the word of God in oral forms. And we can be there for 30, 40, 50 plus years and never get to their villages. And there's a lot of reasons for that. When we went to Somalia years, decades later, uh, I wasn't there but about a year when I wrote my first article, and it's still out on the Internet. It might be on our website of why the unreached are unreached. And one of those things are really important because these people lived in a place that was very hot, very uh, geographically challenging. Uh, uh, every time I went there, uh, I got malaria. I got some parasite. But the only reason that the entire villages hadn't said yes to Jesus by the thousands is that all of those years that missionaries and local churches had been in that country 
they never left the, uh, the mountains and the cities because malaria doesn't exist above 5,500 feet, and yet most lost people and almost all of Islam live below uh, 5,500 feet in, in Africa. Wow. Wow, think about that. And when we look at the 3 billion people on earth, 63% of them are oral communicators, which were like these three or five villages that had gathered together. But again, they don't forget a story that they heard and, and they learn it for the first time. Uh, I, I, I want our listeners to prepare themselves for something that's coming uh, as we continue our conversation together. I want them to ask themselves in God's word, how many times did Jesus use a literate tool outside of the synagogue, outside of the temple? I, I, I don't want to answer it. Don't want you to answer it. I just want them to answer it for themselves is that Jesus uh, consumed that Old Testament and, commend, and, and committed it deeply to his memory. But how did he share the word of God, the kingdom of God, the will and the ways of God when he walked out in the marketplace and in the homes and, and uh, uh, with that demonic man and with that much used woman in, in, in John chapter 4 uh, with the uh, you know demon possessed people, the lepers, uh, how uh, what how did Jesus package and how did he share uh, the word in the uh, kingdom of God? And, and 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 the other thing is, how much of the kingdom of God do you have to know to export it to your neighbor? Within two weeks, within ten days to two weeks, they were not. Uh, they, they were not waiting to have some big person come and train them in all the nuances of the scripture. They knew enough about creation, human sin. Uh, they knew enough uh, uh, about prophecy and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus to take it to their neighbors. And they began within 10 days to two weeks. They laid hands on eight men and sent them out. And they took care of their families and their crops uh, while uh, they were gone. And I've already mentioned this, but I went to everything I had received in my master in my bachelor bachelor's degree from my denominational school, my master's uh, from a denominational school, and after Malawi and South Africa when I got a doctorate. Uh, everything, every bit of training I received was to help me become a pastor teacher. And I had one class on how to be an evangelist church planner. To such extent, back in those days when we were appointed missionaries, we had to have three years of pastoral experience to go be a church planter in the far reaches of the world, though no one had ever, ever asked us whether we'd ever been part of a church plant, whether we'd help start something uh, in somebody's home. And, and in all the thousands of seminaries that I know of and 
many of those that we have interacted with and we just looked up their curriculum online, uh, we can only find a handful that we would recommend someone go to to study if their desire was to be an evangelist church planner rather than a pastor teacher. And so that really, uh, uh, like even what I'm watching now in America, uh, uh, people telling me they're a church planter, well, they're a planter of a church so that once they've planted a church, they become the pastor of it. That's not being a church planter. That That is doing something better, uh, something that extends the kingdom of God, but the end result remains being the pastor teacher, not the, not the, as it, as it says in Ephesians about Jesus, uh, being a little apostle, evangelist, church planner, pastor teacher. But we want to, we want to, uh, uh, talk about that in depth in coming days. And, and again, how much of from Genesis through Acts, do we have to know, do we have to internalize to be able to wrap that blanket around us and take enough food for the journey and trust that they're going to care for you as you go further and further out and however many weeks or months you go? How how much are we prepared uh, for the journey knowing uh, the, the stories in Genesis and Acts that we can stand up in the pitch dark and share the Bible stories with three to five hundred uh, uh, African people who have begged us to bring God to their villages to where they can believe in Jesus the Christ, be baptized, and then begin to export him uh, into other places. We've got a lot to talk about. And, and, and the thing is, brother, uh, I was so excited to be able to talk about all the people that believed. I, I was so excited to talk about all the people that how they baptized one another and, and, and how they began to export their faith. But I could not walk away uh, with any of this information. Uh, and, 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 the, and the one thing that I, I could not articulate for 35 years is that uh, Satan has two desires. And oh my, we've got to talk about this often. His first desire is he wants to keep you from having access to Jesus the Christ. And his second desire is if he can't keep you from coming to Christ, he wants to shut you up. He wants to shame you or scare you. He wants to make Jesus, you keep Jesus to yourself. That's Satan's two big desires. And, and when we keep Jesus to ourselves, for generation after generation after generation in those villages around Lake Malawi, we have persecuted those people because we never cared enough to drive or walk to their villages, take a bicycle or a motorcycle, and take Jesus to them. When we keep Jesus to ourselves, we are the chief persecutors of those who have yet to hear. So the question, so the question is for our hearers in America. Are we sharing Christ? Meeting resistance for that, perhaps? Are we, and we'll talk about this more fully, are we sharing in the lives 
and the burdens of those who are persecuted? Are we keeping Jesus ourselves and therefore we are a persecutor? Because we're keeping people Mm. from the kingdom of God when we keep Jesus to ourselves. And I guess the question I would like to end my part with, at least, is how many people Mm. in the next year, if everyone that you're witnessing to right now, how many people could be added to the kingdom of God in the next 12 months? Wow. Why don't we ask this? That's extremely convicting. Right. Yeah. Uh, 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 If we're keeping Jesus to ourselves, it's clear. We don't identify with the persecuted, but we need to park that for a while. Mm. But I I hope you see all the things that God was teaching me, but because I had one set of filters, basically that of pastor teacher, I had no place for this to stick. And later on, uh, it would take South Africa, Kenya, Somalia, and talking to 700 believers in persecution to finally learn the stories that those villages wanted to teach me uh, 35 years earlier. And I had no place to learn it. Wow. Man, that's so powerful because, um, you know, I've, I've heard you say, on numerous occasions, the statement, uh, they're two very similar statements, but they're both true. A pers- witness always brings persecution. When we share Christ, when we witness, that brings persecution. But also what you're, you're telling our, our listeners today is when we don't witness, we also bring persecution because we're hindering access to Jesus because we're not witnessing to the lost and the unreached. If Satan's two biggest desires is to keep people from Jesus and secondly, uh, cause you to keep Jesus to yourself. Uh, again, uh, who are we aligning ourselves with? You know, I don't want to be ugly. I don't want to be hateful. Mm. What, what, I, what I'm sharing here is my brokenness. What, what I'm sharing here is yeah. how, how could I not know this is because I didn't share Christ very often outside of the pulpit and a teaching ministry in the church all those years before I got to Africa. This is on me. If our listeners mm. want to buy into it, that's at their choice. But this is my broken heart speaking and my lack of walking in the word, uh, my brokenness from that. Mm. I mean, we could all learn from that. I think you're, you're, you speak not just on your behalf, but you speak on all of our behalfs so looking back and thinking, when have I aligned with the persecutors by keeping Jesus to myself? That, wow, that is really, really powerful. I wanted to, to explore a couple of things very briefly that you, you mentioned. I know we don't want to get into some of those uh, principles yet because you're going to unpack them more fully uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. But a couple of things that came to mind as you were we're talking about uh, pastor teachers and church planter evangelists. You probably will unpack this in, in future episodes, but I, I'm curious to hear about uh, maybe just a, a brief statement. It seems to me, if we were to look at the evangelical landscape across churches, denominations, seminaries, things like that, it almost seems like we, uh, 
uh, are, are purposely raising up pastors and then telling them to go church plant and then to, to be pastors of, of church plants. It seems like you're, you're telling us that there's a little bit of a disconnect, both scripturally and, and practically. What would you say, because I would imagine we would have a lot of listeners who are, uh, I'm sure there, there are going to be people out there that want to become pastors or church planters or maybe kind of conflate the two. What is something that you could tell people like that who are listening today uh, and they're saying, I want to go to seminary or I'm, I'm planning to be a, a pastor church planter. My church wants to send me out, but I'm kind of conflating the two. How do we help uh, people like that uh, see the, the scriptural basis for that and then also go out and be effective as a church planter or as a, as a pastor? Without getting in and, and, and making this another session, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you've uh, helped me paint myself into a corner right now, is, is I, I would say, um, my goodness, brother, I, I'd give us uh, our schools or Bible colleges or seminaries. We were just at one for mountain preachers this week. I'd give us an A plus for raising up pastor teachers. And I give us a D minus for raising up evangelists and church planters. And, and and yet, when I think about it, I don't think that you can teach uh, evangelism and church planting. You don't want to turn it into mm. uh, a, a, a presentation or a drive-by shooting, as I call it. Uh, you want to turn it mm. into two-thirds listening and one-third talking. But I, I think the way you learn that is by doing it. I, I, I think there's so many models of pastor teacher that if we, especially if we grow up in church, we're ingrained with that. We have so many examples of that. We can go online and see that every day. Uh, there are pastor and teachers all over the, all over the, the websites and internet. But, uh, how often have you left your front door and gone to your neighbors and invited them into a meal or had a meal with your neighbors? And, 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 and hear their stories and mm. tell your stories and tell God's stories. And, and so until those three things come together and, and, and belief begins to break out. And so what I'd say just again, uh, to bring close to this without unpacking it more is to say, uh, mm. you've got to start sharing Christ with your family. You've got to start telling your mm. story and God's story with your neighbors. And a majority of Muslims that come to Christ, come to Christ, whether they're in America or they're in their home countries, they come to Christ. And this is just a little piece of it by sharing meals with followers of Jesus. I don't find any difference with Americans. Mm. I don't find any difference with Hispanics or with African-Americans or with internationals in our midst. But uh, the, the best way to learn to be a evangelist church planner is is to get you some partners, uh, uh, get you some couples, and just go do it. And center mm-hmm. it in your home, and center it in the homes of those that you care for enough uh, to visit them, and pray for them, and and bring joy to their house, and pray for the ill in the home, and uh, pray for their their grandfathers and grandmothers that aren't far away from eternity. Uh, just love your neighbors. And love them mm. like Jesus would, and they're going to ask you questions 
like we've been asked all over the world is, is, is uh, what makes you different? Why, why aren't you like these other Westerners? And there, there usually is a preface to that that I'll get to another time. But we want to live our lives out in the marketplace like Jesus did and tell God's story, heal the sick, uh, pray for those who have lost their children, get out in that Old Testament world and believe that everything that has ever happened in the Bible is still true today. That's a big subject, subject we're going to unpack because we don't believe that. But we just have to mm. go in love to our family and to our neighbors. That's the first place mm. to start. I love that. And sometimes it's just the that basic principle is really what we need to grasp and get hold of and actually do. Because the something that came to mind when you were talking about this story about you know, how much do we need to know of Genesis to Acts to be able to share with our, our neighbors. I was thinking, how often do I or those around me, how often do we maybe have 10 times more Bible knowledge uh, from growing up and from our churches and our culture. And yet we're not sending out and going to our neighbors and to the next village and the next neighborhood to share. And so it's just so uh, powerful and also so motivating to hear these villagers in Malawi, they can hear about Christ for the very first time. And within days, they are sending people out to share the good news of, of Christ. That's incredible. And they read and the scripture so and, and they choose scripture. They, they read the scripture and they, they choose elder deacons. They, they choose pastors. They choose evangelists. They, they choose what they find in the Bible because they found mm -hmm. it in the stories of the Bible. And, and they'll go get some lost person. They'll go get some school boy or some school lady, a uh, young lady, uh, and bring them into their homes to read the Bible to them. If they can't wow. read it themselves, uh, they'll get, they'll go get a lost person that is literate and have them read it to them. And in that process, they'll lead that person to Christ. Wow. It's but just so how, powerful. How did, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do it? Mm. What tools did he use? Absolutely. And we're not, we're not answering that right now, right? We want people to go, search the scriptures and find out what tools did he use out in the marketplace to, to teach and preach about the kingdom of God. Uh, you've already pulled out of me more than I wanted to give, but yes. <laughs> we'll leave it there then. So people can have some Bible study this week and, and uh, learn from Jesus himself. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I want to ask a couple of quick questions and then we'll, we'll close out our time. Um, this is totally unrelated really, except for the very beginning, but um, it, it came to my mind because when you watch the insanity of God, the, the documentary, which we're going to encourage our listeners, if you haven't seen it, you need to watch the insanity of God. Incredibly powerful uh, story about what God did in your lives and the lives of people all over the globe, learning how people thrive in persecution and suffering. But uh, there's a, there's a, a picture that pops up just briefly in the insanity of God and you and Ruth, uh, and I think your boys are there and you are in water baptizing. Uh, it just pops up briefly in the movie. Is that in Malawi? Is this part of that story that you told us today? Or is that a different different story? You may not, <laughs> may not I, know what I, I'm, I'm no, talking about no. in the scene. Ruth's not here, so my memory is gone. But I think, 
after baptizing one time in Malawi, I didn't baptize anymore because of what happened in that Incredible. baptism. Incredible. Yeah. You remind Incredible. me. And that's something I want to explore. Yes, we've got to explore baptism because in Malawi, us baptizing led to a theological, deep, deep theological problem. In Islam, someone like me baptizes a convert from Islam, it could very well be their death sentence. Wow. So there are biblical wow. questions we need to ask of the baptism stories that will help free us uh, to do and not do things that would enhance or hinder the kingdom of God. Lots to talk about. Incredible. We're going to have to have a, a whole episode just on, on baptism because Absolutely. I've heard you talk and teach on baptism it, within believers of persecution in those communities and those nations. And it is incredible what God is doing, but there's so many important things that we need to learn from that. And we really need to sit back and watch what is God doing and how is God operating even through uh, when, when believers persecution are baptized in these places. Uh, it's incredible. Well, We're going to we'll have to explore get, that in depth. We'll get Ruth on here, but what if, what if the number one reason why thousands upon thousands of Muslim women are not saying yes to Jesus is because they will not get in the water of baptism with someone not their husband, their brother, or relative. Mm. A, a male. Wow. That's a really complex question. <laughs> it's not that very complex. It, it, mm. it's, it, it's, it's a really, um, it's a, I think it's a very simple biblical lesson if we look at the content of the biblical stories on baptism and we look at the context along with the content and we ask some questions about that. And if we have been, uh, again, uh, why does it say, uh, we'll have to unpack how many people did Jesus baptize? What did the Apostle Paul say about baptism? And, and yet we turn mm. it absolutely 180 from how they practice it. But let's talk about that too another time. Yeah. No, I want to because I was going to say, if you really look at the scripture, look at the context and the content, shouldn't be as controversial as we sometimes make it out to be if we follow uh, the example of Jesus. You, you, you need to write down some of this stuff and... And, and say, this is a topic we need to explore because I'm making my list along with yours. But uh, what if baptism? No, I'm, I'm just not going to say anymore. <laughs> we'll save that for later. <laughs> yes. Yes. We've got, Incredible. We've, got I know. We, we've got to unpack this and be so honest about our needs and the needs of the new believer are the needs of the one who wants to believe and perhaps mm. our practices keep them from Jesus. Mm. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. Well, I think, uh, I think we can wrap up today. 
Um, is there anything else that you want to add or, or any fuel on the fire that you want to throw before we close out? No, I just, uh, I just wish I wasn't such a slow learner and that it took uh, all those years to learn what God showed me in a, in a tense, a few days, actually, maybe on into those two weeks, but just in a few days, uh, you know, I, I just can't imagine in 2000 years of Christianity, how they waited on that lake and no one came to tell them. And they had to come looking for us and actually run out in the road and almost get themselves run over. And the first words out of their mouth are, uh, are you the, the people bringing God to villages? We have no God in our village. We want you to come bring God to our village. That's why I was born. You know what? When you hear that, you know that's why you were created, why you were made. This is why God took you to this uh uh, a country uh, where people just came to Jesus when somebody uh, had the obedience to tell them. Well, and, and, you know, honestly, that's what we have been exploring uh, for the last many minutes today is what are lessons that you learned in these first couple of years in Malawi? Baptism is one of those baptismal practices. And when we go through these, uh, these items that you listed that we're going to unpack individually over the next several weeks, you are showing us, uh, kind of giving us a, a lamppost and a guide to say, here's what I wish we would have known decades ago. So people who are now going, they don't have to make the same mistakes that you did. We get to learn from that and we get to to take what you're teaching us now and say, okay, don't go decades backwards, go forward with the knowledge of what we've learned so that you don't have to make the same mistakes and you can uh, go into some of these places and not operate that way. It caused a lot of trouble in the New Testament when they finally decided that the Gentiles did not have to become Jews to follow Jesus. But I am afraid the way that we do a lot of missions and the way we do a lot of church is more based in, well, we just have to make sure we are as loyal to Jesus as we are to a denominational or a theological base. So. Anyway, we got a lot of good times ahead and good things to talk about. Nothing bad. Nick, thank you for your time today. Incredible lessons, incredible truths, practices that we can apply today. Thank you so much, our listeners, for tuning in today. I want to remind you, uh, for more information about our ministry, you can go to www.nickripkin.com. Again, that's www nickripkin.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast witness and persecution so that you stay up to date on all of our future episodes thank you for listening today and we will see you next time